I want to invite you to turn in God's Word to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 down through chapter 4, verse 1 this morning. But I always want to take a moment to, to share some of the things that I'm really excited about. I am so excited um, these days about the children's ministry and our preschool ministry here at First Baptist New Orleans. Just last night, um, there was a, a number of mothers um, or other you know, ladies in, in a son or a nephew or a grandson or a neighbor's life that came here last night for what we were calling a mother-son Nerf war. And so last night, our fellowship hall was transformed into a you know, a battle zone, you know, where there were boxes and barricades, and they had a blast. And I just want you to, to know we have a gift in Nicole Bandy and Rochelle Zahner, um, their service to us. Yes, so we are so grateful for their ministry at First Baptist and for those sort of events. Now, what's the point? I, I don't want you to miss it. Um, they had a blast last night. But are we just supposed to entertain ourselves in this life? Is that the point of the church? It's just like, what's fun? Let's do it. Um, that's kind of the way the world works and operates. It's just, what's fun? Let's do it. We do these things so that the, the mouth of the funnel is open wide, so that families can come into this church, because then we want to give them what is really good, what is ult of, of ultimate goodness for their souls, um, to be able to, to give to children the gospel of Jesus Christ, but many times if we just say, hey, can, you want to come to a Bible study, sometimes for someone that's maybe far from God or disconnected from a church or just has been told by other friends and family, like, stay away from those people. They're, they're weird. They, uh, they, they're, 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 they're bigoted. They, they, you know, they're, they're judgmental. You need to stay away from them. Sometimes it's really wise to have events um, like a mother-son Nerf war um, so that people can come in and begin to experience the kindness of the family of God that then will hopefully, through that kindness, lead them closer and closer to a place where they personally repent of their sin. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And, and so we want to have those sort of events. So when they come along, don't miss the opportunity. That's a great moment to invite someone, um, to invite someone in your neighborhood that you work with, um, to be able to come in and to do those things. So I'm so thankful for Nicole and Rochelle and then putting those kind of things on our calendar. Don't miss those opportunities when they roll around because we want to be reaching the, the, the city of New Orleans by going and telling, but also inviting them to come and see the goodness of the Lord. This morning we turn in Philippians chapter 3 and we pick up, we're walking through. And today we're going to be looking at a not yet humility. I know that reads a little funny, but I put not yet in quotes, not a not yet humility. Now, where am I pulling that from? In the Christian life, just so you know, there is an already not yet tension that we live in. There, there are all these things that are true about you and I already. We are fully forgiven of our sins but we've not yet experienced a sinless perfection. And if you think you have, just ask someone in your life. <laughs> we have already been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, but we continue to, to walk by the Spirit in this life in weakness. There's these already not yet tensions that we live with in this life. And here in this passage, we come into that tension of an already not yet. The already not yet that we're going to see in this text today is that we have already been resurrected with Christ Jesus. 
but we've not yet been fully resurrected as we will be in the day of Christ to receive an imperishable body that will no longer wear out. Um, we're living in that already, not yet. But that already, not yet tension that we live in, it is actually supposed to produce in us a type of humility. A, a humility that comes from realizing that we have all of this amazing access by the Spirit of God to these riches that are given to us in Christ, to, to know God, the living God, through faith in Christ Jesus, to experience the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in us and to have this union with Christ that, that really everyone in the Old Testament was longing for that sort of experience of a union with the Messiah. That's already ours, but we are not yet experiencing those things in their fullness. And because of that, there should be a humility an acknowledgement that we still have yet so far to go. I've always been impacted when I've come into close proximity to great minds. One person that comes to mind is a member at Edgewater Baptist Church, a sister church in our association of churches, churches that I'm so thankful for. And he's a man by the name of Charlie Ray Jr., um, Dr. Ray, as he went by. And Charlie Ray is one of the smartest dudes that I know. He taught at the seminary for his career. He's now retired. And this man has an encyclopedic memory. He can just retain all of this information about the New Testament and Greek, but also about anything else that he touches, whether it's chess or doing roses or whatever. He becomes an expert in whatever it is that he does. And when I had the chance to begin to pastor Edgewater Baptist Church and, and come in, he was already 40 years ahead of me in knowledge. Well, guess what? You never catch up. Like that, that's how that works is he keeps progressing and I'm trailing behind. So there's always this big gap on knowledge. And so I had to realize like, I'll never be the smartest guy in the room. By the way, I'll never be the smartest guy in this room. That's just how it works. And there's a, a humility that comes with that. But you would think that Charlie Ray would have been the most critical person in the room because I'm preaching from the New Testament. He's memorized portions of the New Testament in Greek. I'm saying what a word means. He probably wrote the article in the Bible dictionary on that word. So talk about an intimidation factor. You think he's just going to rip me to shreds. But he was the most encouraging member of the church. He was the one who would constantly encourage me in my preaching, even when I knew that it was a sermon that I was just glad was over. Because in him, I witnessed a not yet humility. Even though he had amassed knowledge that most people would be envious of, there was a humility for him that kept him learning. He was reading and reading. He, he enjoyed entering the conversations where he would look again at a biblical passage, one that he had even written like commentary sections on for the Bible Illustrator and other um, Lifeway publications, but he would come back to it afresh he would then translate the passage and look at it again and look at new resources there without ever saying that he had a not yet humility, he lived it. He lived that he had never arrived at a perfect and complete knowledge of the Bible. He didn't approach it in this arrogant fashion. Even though he had been walking with the Lord for many, many years, there was still in him a not yet humility. And so for you and I, brothers and sisters, it's gonna be the same way. There, there ought to be in us a not yet 
humility that even though many of you in this room have been walking with the Lord for many years, you're, you're seasoned saints. You should have a knowledge of the word that is absolutely remarkable, but there should still be in you a hunger that you've not arrived, a hunger that there's still more. In fact, sometimes it's those that have reached expertise in a field that realize there's still so much more there than I could ever, ever consider. And so we today dive into the word of God, humble before him, wanting to be faithful in this tension of the already, the things that we have experienced, but then the not yet, the things that we're still longing for and looking forward to. And so with that anticipation, I ask you to rise and to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm actually gonna back up to, the, to verse 10 just to give you a little bit of context, and then we're gonna pick up in verse 12. Verse 10 says this, my goal is to know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now picking up in verse 12, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for how it gives handles to what we experience, how, how it is that we can taste of, of these riches of being in Christ, but then at another moment feels so far from where we ought to be. Lord, we live in the tension. And so we're thankful for this passage today that gives us some anchors and some handles, Father, so that we can walk in faithfulness with you in this life. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Not yet, humility, a not yet humility. The, a not yet humility is cultivated, we're gonna see in this passage, by four aspects. And so what I want us to go through and see is how Paul moves through this passage to help us to have a not yet humility that comes from, first of all, a not yet complete understanding. Not yet complete Notice what Paul says in verses 12 and 13. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect. Now I wanna stop right there with the word perfect because you'll notice that in this first point I say not yet complete. We need to have the understanding that we're not yet complete. Paul says it this way, the way it's translated here in the Christian Standard Version is not yet made perfect or already perfect. 
Now, oftentimes when I hear the word perfect, or if I say that something is perfect, I think that it's without blemish. And a lot of times if I say that someone's acting perfect, I usually mean that in a moral standard kind of sense. I'm not talking about they've completed everything in this life that they're supposed to complete. What I'm saying is they're not doing anything they shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and so I think that's often how we hear the word perfect is not completion, that, that there's nothing lacking in that person, but that there's no moral failure in them. I think the word complete is a little bit better for our understanding, is that there is something that, that God is doing in us that stands incomplete at this point. We're not done yet. Uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, when I would sneak into the kitchen as a kid um, and get something, um, you know, begin to, to pull something out, or even as an adult at this point in my, in my life, you know, to come in and grab something, you know, the, the, the pop on the hand, hey, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. It's not, it's not complete. It, you know, like there's going to be a completed presentation of this dish, of this dessert, or this whatever, but it's not complete yet. That's how we stand. We're, we're a work in progress. And, and listen, the progress in, in the kitchen when I was growing up and at home today is good. Uh, it's, a, it's a good progress. Things taste good, but there is something about this then presenting it. It's done. We're all seated at the table. And brothers and sisters, we're waiting for that day when we will all gather at the banquet table with Christ Jesus at the head, and we will enjoy it together. But he doesn't pop our hand like my mother lovingly did. Instead, he gently reminds us in our weakness, in those moments when we are painfully aware that we are not complete, we're not done, we have a long way to go, that he's not done with us yet. The way that Paul says it here, he says, not that I'm already made perfect, but I make every effort to, hold, to take hold of it. Why? Because I've been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. There's the reminder. There's that gentle reminder is that you may be losing your grip, but he never loses his. You may be losing your grip, but he never, he never loses his. So we're constantly trying to grasp it. We feel that grip loosening. It's, it's like we're, we're, we're doing a, a dead hang, you know, like where you, you've jumped up on the pull-up bar and you're just hanging there. And sometimes you're like, I, I just don't feel like I can hold on for another second. And in that moment where you're just about to release because you can't hold it anymore, that's when you feel the mighty grip of the one who was holding you all along. Not yet complete. Paul, in verses 10 and 11, he says, my goal is to know him. So he does. But he's honest to admit that I don't know him perfectly. I don't know him completely. All that I will be able to know about God and the mind of God is not yet known to me. When he goes through, he says, the power of his resurrection. He has tasted of the power of the, of the resurrection, but he's going to go on later to say, but we've yet to be fully resurrected. He says it down later. We will, our, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. That is a resurrected body. We haven't experienced that. First Baptist New Orleans, we long for that day. Just this week, First Baptist, you opened this room so that a family of another sister church at St. Rose Community Church could, could hold a funeral in this room for a one-year-old that passed away this week. 366 days old. But what I want you to know is that in this room, in this place of worship, on, on, on the end of the week, there was worship in this room from parents who had just lost the, the child, the son that they were told they could never have. 
And it was a reminder, a, a painful reminder that we still live in a fallen world where, 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 where babies die, where parents grieve and where churches mourn. But as the pastor, Pastor Brandon Langley reminded us, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. What is that hope? That hope is the resurrection. That, that hope is that there is death beyond. I mean, there is life beyond death. And not just in heaven for all of eternity, but that one day, I mean, don't miss it. This is why Paul is orienting us again and again and again to the coming of Jesus, is that it's then that we will taste fully of the promises that he has given. So we hold on to hope even as we comfort those who grieve like you did this week by opening and extending this building to be used for that purpose, to serve a sister church. Not yet complete. Not yet humility is cultivated by, being, by acknowledging we are not yet complete, but it's also cultivated by not yet confidence. You say, well, Chad, how can we be humble and confident? Well, look no further than Jesus. Jesus walked in perfect humility but he also walked in perfect confidence. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what God had called him to do. And he was faithful to that purpose all the way to death, death on a cross. Brothers and sisters, that's what it means to walk in confidence, is to know who you are in Christ and to walk according to the way that God's called you uniquely to walk. There's gonna be a commonality to the way that we walk. It's clean and holy before him. But then there's gonna be unique things that God gives each one of us to do to serve this body, and to make disciples of all nations. Not, a not yet confidence is seen in verses 13 down through 16. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. So he's acknowledging, I'm, I'm not there yet, but one thing I do, and he kind of turns the corner here, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You see, our confidence comes from this, the promise issued by God. God has made a promise and he will not break his promises. What is that promise? I pursued as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now, for many of us, we like to make the prize what we want it to be. Can I just tell you that that always kind of messes up? That, that always causes us to venture to this thing called idolatry. It's where we come up with something that we conceive of as the prize. Maybe it's a standard of living. Maybe it's a, a certain job that you've always wanted. Uh, maybe it's even just looking a certain way. Uh, that that's the prize that you're holding out that, that God has promised you. Well, anytime that we set up things of this earth as the prize, I mean, the way Paul says it down here is, their end is destruction, speaking about enemies of the cross. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. When we cause heaven to basically be all the things that we just couldn't quite get fully here on this earth, chances are that you and I have become idolaters. We're, we're worshiping things of the earth rather than truly having a right orientation to God and to the things of God. And the real litmus test of that is our relationship of hope to the resurrection. 
if I'm being honest with you, it wasn't until just probably about seven years ago that, that my eyes were kind of open to this idea of biblical hope, not just being death and then heaven, but of being the resurrection. That that's what Paul is saying is that we as believers, that's our ultimate hope is the resurrection of the dead. Well, let me tell you who most, most clearly knows that, someone who's lost someone. When you've lost someone, when you've had to bury someone, then you know that the hope we need in this world is the resurrection. We are longing for the day that that loss is undone and the dead in Christ rise, given imperishable bodies, bodies like Jesus, conformed to his own glorious body, a, a, a marvel that we can't fully comprehend, but one that we know we're longing for. You see, even in my house this week, we grieved a little loss. It was a little friend named Oreo, our hamster. I know, the, the awe factor in the room right now. But it was a reminder, right? It was a reminder for my son, Grayson. It was his hamster. He took care of it and did a great job doing it. But it was a reminder as we dug the hole and we buried Oreo that this, this is evidence of sin. This is, this is what is so painful about life is death. But this is why we long for the coming of Jesus so that there won't be death anymore. There won't be death anymore. And so we live with this confidence. And this is what Paul is saying. I have confidence that even though I suffer in this life, even though I go through difficulties of various kinds, he, he, he puts the, the package together over in First and Second Corinthians of all the things that he's been through, all the difficulties, the shipwrecks, the starvation, the imprisonments, the, 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 the mistreatment, the stonings, all of the things, all of these things are going to be worth it in the resurrection. We want it to be always worth it in this life, but he is looking beyond this life, and that gave him a confidence that gave him a confidence because if you fear losing this life, then you won't live in confidence. But when you know that the, the real confidence we have is on the other side it, it, of, of Christ and his coming, that's, that's where the real hope lies, then you can live with a confidence today, today that causes you to walk in a humility, but a confident humility that results in confident living. Verse 16, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. This idea of live up to is to live out. You should live out whatever truth you have attained. Can I just say is a, is a, is a warning to us. I, I've been walking with the Lord since I was 16 years old. And, and so that means that I've been, I can't do math you know, on, the, on the spot, but it's been a while, all right? So you know, I've been walking with the Lord these years. And listen, I've learned a lot. I, I, I've gone to seminary. I, I went to a Christian college. I've been part of Bible studies. I, I'm, I, I have the great joy of, of studying and preparing sermons. That means that there is a high expectation that I am living out what I have attained. Brothers and sisters, be careful of adding another Bible study to your life. Be in a Bible study. But just adding Bible study upon Bible study upon Bible study without living it out, puts you in a very dangerous spot for that day that we are looking forward to, but it will be a day that we give account. So be mindful that we are called to live out our faith, the faith that we have attained. 
a not yet humility that comes from a not yet completeness, a, a not yet confidence. And then thirdly, a not yet care and caution. Look in verses 17 and 17 through 19. Join in imitating me. Now, let's just time out. That sounds a little arrogant, right? Imitate me. How many of you say, imitate me to your brothers and sisters? Like in your, in your Bible study class, you're like, guys, I just want to bring attention to myself um, and ask that you would be like me. No, we don't, we don't do that, do we? But let me tell you who we do do it with, our kids. We do it with our children. We are constantly telling our kids, hey, do it this way. This is how we put the dishes up in here. You know, like you open the cabinets and it's all like, what? No, no, no. Let me show you how you do this. You stack them. These plates all go in this stack. These cups go here. All the forks go in this little bin. You know, like that's how we unload the dishwasher. We're always, always training our kids to imitate us. And Paul was like a father with children. So this isn't an arrogance, him saying, well, I'm kind of all that. You know, just be like me. Let's, you know, I'm easier to be like than Jesus, so be like me. No, no, no. He knows that he's humbly following Christ, and he wants that same humble following for his children. And so he encourages them, saying, you know, imitate, saying, imitate Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Now, who's the us? You turn back over to chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So even those who are younger. In other words, we need one another in a multi-generational sense. This is why I love life together and what we're doing on Sunday evenings. It, it, for, especially for our, our men and women, they're coming into the same room. I love that every Sunday night right now, I'm up with our student ministry and being in that room because I'm learning from their example. Guys, I'm learning from you and your faithfulness to the Lord. The, the things that you're thinking about and the way that you're applying God's truth in your life right now is changing me. And we need that sort of approach to one another and, and to learn from one another. We continue to go through and he, he says, follow this for I've told you and now say again that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So we have this careful attention to the godly, but then we have a cautious awareness of the ungodly. Notice that his whole ministry is about bringing the gospel to the ungodly. So he's not saying avoid them in some sense of to have nothing to do with ungodly people. But he is cautioning us. And he's cautioning us about very base things that we need to realize that sometimes I'm like, gosh, am I flirting with this? I mean, especially in our city, right, in New Orleans, their God is their stomach. When you find yourself at every meal talking about what you ate or what you're going to eat next. And, and, and anybody? I mean, like, is that just me? You know, like, you find yourself talking about food all the time. I'm like, what would their God as their stomach look like other than talking about food constantly? You know, so, like, I think it's a little bit of, like, okay, like, this was a rebuke for me of not just, you know, not enjoying good food, but if I made my life all about that, I mean, is that like the, is that the thing? Is, is that what really characterizes my, my greatest love in this life? And so it's just a little bit of like a caution um, for, for what we can deal with. He goes on, he says, their, their, their glory is in their shame. And in other words, you know, I like think about our culture, that, that it's those things that God says is, are sinful that then maybe today we wear and we say, you know, well, this is who I am with pride. 
their, their glory, you know, like the, the T-shirt they wear, the bumper sticker they have, their glory is in their shame. The things that, that God says are shameful and shouldn't even be mentioned are the things that they celebrate. And they say, this is who I am and, and this is all I want people to see. We should have caution toward that. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Another rebuke, right? To, to constantly be checking you know, our retirement accounts, to look at the market, to constantly be thinking, you know, like, you know, okay, well, what happens if we hit this debt ceiling and we don't raise it? Like, what happens? What's the ripple effect of this? And you're, you're thinking about all of these things. And it's not that we're to be, you know, ignorant of what's going on in our world, but is our only focus on this life? Is, it, is our only focus on, like, do I have enough money? Do I have enough money? Can I get more money? It's all about the money. Brothers and sisters, we have to be mindful that we can fall into that trap because that's what we're constantly hearing, that that's the point of life, is to amass wealth and then live easy. But, but Christ is inviting us to more. He's inviting you and I to not see money as an end in itself, but to see it as a means of, of blessing others, a means of providing for our family, but never a God always held with a loose hand. Open, God, it's yours. God, you use it according to your desires. Use me. A not yet humility that understands we're not yet complete. It's a not yet humility that still has confidence to it. It's a not yet humility that, that exercises care and caution in relationship to the world. And then finally, it's a not yet humility that comes from a not yet citizenship. This is who you are. This is who I am. We are citizens of a not yet kingdom. We, we, we live in the kingdom we also are longing for the kingdom. We, we have a king, and we're longing for a king. Uh, we're, we already know what it is to be a resident and have that security. But we've not yet fully experienced that moment that Philippians talks about where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're living in the tension. And he says this in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. What we wait for is not just death. We wait for a Savior. Train yourselves, church, especially for you that are nearing toward the end of life, those that are living now in your 70s, 80s, and 90s. Please train yourself to know that what you're waiting for is not your death, you are waiting for the coming of your Savior. A younger generation needs to rekindle that biblical hope. But if we constantly only see those who have been walking with the Lord for long seasons of light longing for their death, then that's going to have an impact on a younger generation. And it may be more catastrophic than we can imagine. So we have to, we have to train ourselves according to biblical hope that we were not waiting for death, we are waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to, sub to subject everything to himself. There's the corporate dimension to transform the body of believers, all of us together, like that we'll be perfectly knit together. There'll be a perfect unity in that day. But there will also be this bodily resurrection dimension to this. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 15 is that we 
Chad Gilbert is actually waiting for a body that won't wear out, that, that won't be subject to cancer, that won't be subject to um, ailments, to failing knees or elbows or back or shoulders or those sort of things, that, that, that won't have the, the, this inability to focus on the Lord Jesus, um, that, that won't know the, the barriers and will be like, like Christ's glorious body. What's so interesting when we turn back over the pages of the Gospels, especially at the end of Luke where they're walking on the road to Emmaus, these are men who have been with Jesus. They knew who Jesus was, but there was something about his glorious body that kept them from recognizing him. This is what's so interesting to me. When they see him in the garden, as recorded in other gospel accounts, they think that he's a gardener. I'm like, they have been with this man for years. How did they not know? There was something different about his glorified, resurrected body. But then suddenly when their eyes were open, they were like, it's Jesus. And he even encourages Thomas, put your hand where the nails are. I mean, he has these scars. There's this unique, you know, similarity, but distinction from what was. And brothers and sisters, we look forward to that new imperishable body. This is what Paul says. He says, we are waiting for this, where he will transform our humble condition into his likeness. So, so what? So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, get the delight that this man has in the church. He loves the church with an intensity. He says this, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Because we're not there yet, we stand firm. To stand firm is gonna require the admission that I'm not done yet. I'm a work in progress and I need you to help me in that work. It's gonna require a confidence that comes not from confidence in my ability, but confidence in his promises. It's a confidence, a humility that's gonna come from exercising the caution and the care that he calls us to in his word and of really then living out the citizenship that he has given us. But don't miss it. It's all part of the theme that we see all throughout Philippians of humility. It's a humility. So what's our posture this morning? Well, I'm gonna invite you to do something a little different during this response time. There'll be singing that's going on, but I really want you to enter into a time of prayer. And you may just wanna stay right at your seat, but I'm gonna invite you to, to go into a posture, either just kneeling in your heart, if you can't really get to your knees, but if you can get to your knees, I'm gonna invite you to do that. I'm gonna open up this, the, these steps that are open every week, but I wanna encourage you in this moment to maybe even just move forward and to kneel before Christ Jesus, our maker. There's something about the kneeling position that we even see in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's just something about kneeling before the Lord at times that begins to align our mind with our posture. And so I hope that in this moment of response, that this will be a time for you to humble yourself before the Lord, but don't miss it. If you're here today and you've never humbled yourself before the Lord and asked him to forgive you of your sins and to become the Lord of your life, I wanna tell you again that when I was 16 years old, I literally got down on my knees in the woods of Mississippi and I knelt down and I just prayed a prayer like this, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And so I'm asking you to forgive me today of all my sins and give me a new heart and I want you to be the king of my life from this day forward. And it wasn't like anything, the wind picked up or anything like that, but I'm telling you right now as a witness, Jesus changed me. 
He took my heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh. And he desires to do that exact thing in your life today. For you that have that new heart, is it humble? Does it embody the humility that it's supposed to? It's something we have to continually cultivate. And so will you bow yourself before the Lord today? Father, I pray that in this moment of response, that we would humble ourselves before you. And we would spend time worshiping, maybe repenting of love. Maybe we've loved food too much or money too much. And those have become more important than, than you. So Lord, please, whatever you need to do today, I pray that you would. But Lord, for the one that this morning needs to come into your kingdom and experience the already that you've given us, I pray, Lord, that they would humble themselves and cry out for your forgiveness. And you would remind them that you are always faithful and just to forgive those that ask. In Jesus' name, I pray. You now bow before the Lord in whatever posture you might humble yourself today.